welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Turn the Page. I'm your host today, Jen, and I'm here with the author of a fantastic new novella who is incredibly prolific and has written a lot of really wonderful things. So let's just get right into it. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, I am Nico Bell. I am a horror author and editor, and my book that's coming out October 13th is called Static, which is a sci-fi horror, um, but I also consider it grief horror. Um, It's a novella. It's hopefully a quick read. (laughs) Hopefully people will enjoy it. Yeah, it is so much fun. And it packs an incredible amount of plot and characterization into this really slim package in a way that is like super duper impressive. But before we get into the specific book too much, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your journey to this book and sort of like how you arrived at it, because you've written in a number of genres and you are incredibly prolific. You had a book just out a couple of months ago, Open House. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about your path here? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, I started writing originally in inspirational romance and I killed off all my characters and my (laughs) critique partners were like, I don't know if this is the right place for you. And that was very fair. Um, But the reason that it took me a little longer to get into horror and sci-fi is the mentality that it takes to write some of this stuff. It can be a little bit dark and a little bit emotional which is what Static ended up being. It was inspired um, after I lost a family member, a family member passed away. And I uh, was sent this article by a friend. Um, It's basically like how you should have a physicist talked at your eulogy because they explain that the universe um, doesn't create or destroy energy. Like energy exists and it, it never goes away. And so the idea is that if you pass away, your energy gets put back into the universe. And that was such a comforting thought at the moment. And I was thinking, like, how could I use that? You know, how could I use that in storytelling and and to work through grief in it? And Static started out as a short story. And just over the years, it's something that I always went back to as I was processing my own grief. And it sort of evolved over time. And and now it's finally published. So I'm excited that it's out there. Wow. I'm very interested to hear that it started as a short story. Um, Like, what was the core of the short story? And like, in what ways did it expand? I guess that would be a good good place to tell people about like the premise and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The premise is about this, this young woman named Carmen who... Um, is really struggling with her own loss and grief from a family member. And she has these hallucinations, these little black dots that she sees everywhere. And they sort of spiral out of control and she's tried everything. And then enter the evil scientist doctor who says she has a cure-all for it. And then they work together and things spiral out of control. And the original story was very much focused on on Carmen and Dr. Barbara <laughs> and and getting them to a place where they have to sort of combat each other. Um, it was just like this much more condensed idea of um, life after death and the science involved in it and and those aspects of it. Yeah. Mm. It didn't have the, the sub character either who oh. comes in later. Deja comes in later. So, yeah. 
cool. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, I am so interested um, just in like the way that you crafted the doctor, Barbara, because I feel like it would have been you get a lot of polarities with villains. I feel like you get like the super evil hand wringing Iago. I love being evil. And on the other hand, you get like the villain that is like so sympathetic that they almost stop being a villain. But this walks like a really nice like path between those two things. Like she's a little bit sympathetic, but she's still like kind of a monster, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love writing villains. I love writing female villains too, to really tap into their emotions and what really brings out the evil in them and, and what, you know, in their past has led them down these dark, dark roads. So writing Barbara was a lot of fun really um, to see like what motivates her to, to be so devious and villainous and where does that come from? And is that from a place of good intentions or not? And how does that, you know, manifest? It's sort of asking like this question, like, what would you do if you could, you know, connect with a loved one who's passed? Like, how far would you go? How far would you take that? And I think for all the characters in the book, they all answer that in different ways. And, you know, Barbara's journey, um, with her path and, and the things that she's gone through. I, I, um, I hope that people, yeah, see a little bit of a, a soft side buried deep in, but certainly she is not going about it the right way. <laughs> she is, certainly has malicious intent. Yeah, it gives her like a, a real, I guess, realism. Like she's, you know, like she, cause it's a common saying, I think these days that like most villains do not know that they're villains, like unless they are literally Iago, you know, who like, yeah, but, like, and you can really see that like in her, um, her mental, like her inner monologue, you know, because she keeps focusing on her good intentions. And it's very easy for her to sort of like elide or not think about like, the less good things that she has done either in the past or like in this process of trying to like connect with the other side. So yeah, yeah. very real. And I appreciated that. And so is Nima, her assistant. Um, can you talk a little bit about where she came from, especially because did you say that she was a, a later addition? She well? was. Yeah, she was a bit later. Although I really like her story a lot. Um, I considered like expanding her a bit more or not. I, I think her original name was Deja. That's why I called her Deja. But I think <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah, you know, she has her own struggles. And when I was thinking about grief, because grief is basically the one word, I always try to pick one word in a book and like focus on it. So <laughs> grief was this one. And I was thinking like, how does what is with she? She hasn't lost somebody in the terms that somebody has passed away, but she still has lost a relationship that she is also um, justifying devious actions by trying to keep this relationship alive. So for her, you know, grief manifests differently, you know, not in death, but in just wanting something that she had that just doesn't have anymore. So I thought that was like an interesting little tangent to take and another voice to have in terms of like, how we process lose loss in general. <laughs> Absolutely. Like there's a lot of really interesting examples here of people processing loss in different ways. And it occurs to me that sort of like every binary is a little bit false, but I'm going to make it anyway of that. Like you see kind of two methods here. There's like Carmen who is dealing with her own loss and hers is very like turned inward, you yeah. know? And then you have Barbara and Nima who it is more like they are kind of inflicting their pain on the world around them a little bit you know yeah uh, 
Yeah. And I feel like both of those are pretty realistic, you know, like in my own grief and process and people who have lost, you know, there's, there's a little bit of both, you know, you turn in on yourself and you get really withdrawn and then you also get angry. And then how does that anger affect the people you care about, you know, and um, what would you do to make that anger stop? How far would you go for that? So those are just some questions that, you know, I had to explore myself going through a grieving process. And I thought that I would take the characters along (laughs) with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to see writers kind of process their own emotions in writing this way. And I'm wondering, like, is there a character who was easier for you to access than another? Was there somebody who was like particularly challenged to kind of get into their headspace? I, I, (laughs) it's kind of weird to like connect with a villain, especially (laughs) one who's like murderous, but you know, writing Barbara was a bit easier because anger is something that is so much more easier to connect with for me than sadness or vulnerability, which was what Carmen was really struggling with. And so I could write Barbara's, you know, rage pretty, pretty, pretty much without like inflicting any sort of like mental stress on myself but when it was time to like dig in deeper and to like Carmen and her loss and her story it was you know I feel myself sort of pulling away and like putting up a wall which is my struggle in really all of my stories to be honest that's my struggle as a writer is to to tackle that wall and be more emotional and more vulnerable um so I, I did have like some issues with that so I would say that Carmen was a bit more um, of a struggle for sure, because she has to take more emotional vulnerability than than Barbara, who sits in her rage a bit easier. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, in a weird way that sort of shows that like Carmen is even like is in a much better place with her loss than Barbara is, because like oftentimes, at least in my own experience, I don't want to talk for everybody, but anger can be a kind of like defensive emotion to protect from sadness, you know, yeah, for sure. You protect from like that feeling of vulnerability because anger makes you feel powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to see how like Carmen, even though she like probably like m- might feel, you know, so much more lost than Barbara presents, like she's actually experiencing a much health, even given, you know, her. Yeah. <laughs> she's like processing her grief a lot more healthily. <laughs> Yes, I would definitely say that that's true, you know, working through like the stages of grief and everything like that. And um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that's true. And that's just something like my own personal journey as well that that I just reflected through them that that anger is so much easier for me to connect with and so much easier to stay with than it is to delve into anything that, you know, requires a bit more heart and (laughs) a bit more softness. So yeah, it was an interesting journey to write for sure. Um, but I'm hoping in the future to be able to do more, like really, really knock down that wall and really, really get into it and get into trauma and, you know, emotions and things like that. So this was like my stepping stone, I think. <laughs> and hopefully we'll just keep diving deeper and deeper. <laughs> I love that. Like, I I love reading about like you know, some people find horror so disturbing and like, you know, the other librarians who work in like some other genres are like, how do you keep reading such scary stuff? And I'm like, it actually like, I think when you have anxiety, horror is great because like, spend a lot of time being afraid of like everything. And it's really nice for like the space of one book to be like, oh, I'm afraid of like this specific 
ghost or like this monster yeah you know yeah (laughs) it really is horror is such a wide genre like I used to not even tell people I write horror because the first thing that comes to mind is like the Saw movies and you know that type of thing and certainly there's a place for all of that but there's also this huge spectrum you know it doesn't have to be like scary scary gore you know it can be like more soft and more like you know Laurel Highwater and like or you know it could be like Gemma Amore just wrote like this beautiful book called I think Full Immersion I think it is you know about postpartum depression and it's not you know guts and gore it's like this really haunting lyrical gorgeous tale of a mother trying to you know come to grips with being a mom so there's like this whole wonderful range of horror you know that I I I hope people can start to see more of instead of you know just like when you tell someone you like horror and they're like, oh, you like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like, no, not not so much, but (laughs) there's more to it than that. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a lot of different modes that horror can operate in. And I'm wondering, like, um, you know, your experience as a writer, maybe like how that was shaped by your experience as an editor or maybe how they shape each other. Because I imagine that like editing like collected volumes probably exposes you to like a couple of those different modes. You know, you can see like the the breadth of like what is possible in horror. So how do you feel like your editing activities have shaped like your uh, your uh, path as a writer? You know, I absolutely love editing. Um And I'm not so great at editing my own work, but I love editing other people's work and helping, you know, especially new writers, like, find their voice. And I've really been fortunate to edit. uh, The three anthologies that I've done are very, very different. You know, Shiver is cold-themed, and it had all the range from camp to very serious. And then um, Diet Riot, a fatter punk anthology, was fat positive, and it had some like fantasy and a little bit of camp and YA. And then mine was a um, body autonomy horror and that was very lyrical and very very serious and so to be in an editing position and to be doing that I got to read so many varieties of of people's work and how they interpret horror and it's just incredible it's really really incredible to see all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes and to see all these new writers coming up um, and to be able to to be there with them and go through that process with them. So it just it's just eye opening, really. And it's just exposing yourself to more things that you might not necessarily like pick off the shelf. You know, like I am not necessarily somebody that would go toward like literary horror. But when we were doing mine, um, Roxy Vores was the co-editor and she loves that. And so, you know, her natural, uh, you know, take was to go towards that. And then when I sort of delved into it, I was like, yeah, you know, this is this is the direction to go into. So it helps open up worlds of subgenres and then in turn, you know, to be able to bring that into my own writing and and to be influenced by other people and to meet new writers. It's pretty it's a pretty great job. (laughs) I love it. I really do. I love being an editor. Cool. Yeah. And it speaks to, I think, like the strength of the horror community, you know, like they're like, I think that we are in a really good time period right now for like writers um, supporting each other, especially in yeah. the genre. Like when I go on Twitter, because it's still called Twitter. In yeah. My- <laughs> <laughs> um, like there is such a vibrant community there of writers who are all supporting each other and celebrating each other's achievements and encouraging each other through like the challenges 
And it's sad in a way, you know, that this is happening as that platform is sort of like yeah, in this real unknown state. But do you feel like that online community has also shaped your uh, career as a writer? Oh, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't even be published if it wasn't for the online community, if it wasn't for Twitter. That's a hard, it's hard pill what's happening on social media these days because there's such like a love on that platform particularly. So many of us came up on that platform. Um, But it is really a really great group of people. You know, we are encouraging. I I mean, I see when somebody else gets a publishing contract, I feel like we all kind of get a publishing contract because when one of us succeeds, like it opens the door for so many others. Um, so I, I feel like we all kind of have that vibe, like we're all pushing each other. So the ultimate goal isn't necessarily like this competitive one of us has to reach the top. It's just somebody reached the top so that somebody's story gets hold so that it can Um, get horror out there to more people you know it's more collaborative I think yeah it really is there's a lot of really collective like joyous spirit there which I think some people think is really ironic given like the content of horror (laughs) you know because you're working all out on the page and like it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes for sure it's all on the page it's all fiction (laughs) (laughs) um when you are moving between like stories and novellas and novels like do you have a format that you prefer one that comes more easily or is there one that like yeah is there like a mode that you prefer to operate in or do you kind of like tailor like does each story kind of tell you what form it needs to be in if that makes sense um you know so far I I kind of follow a, a routine pretty much um I I do a lot of plotting. I do a lot of like scribbling in notepads first. You know, the first thing I do when I start a new project is I buy a composition book and I just start brainstorming. So I have like, I don't even know, like a hundred composition books all over my house because <laughs> every idea gets a composition book, whether it turns into something or not. Um, and then, you know, I, I do the plotting and I do a fast draft. And so I really just sort of follow the same thing every single time, whether it's, um, you know, a short story or a novel or or something like that. I, I am a creature of habit, I would suppose, at this point. Although I did start using Scrivener, which is pretty cool. I gotta tell you, like, I don't know all the features. I am not tech savvy, but the very basics of it are very, very helpful. If for no other reason, then you can drag chapters, like, mm-hmm. all over the place very easily. So that has upped my game, I think. Oh, <laughs> it made it a little easier to do, like, the first draft and things like that. Oh, nice. Yeah, we actually... to. Like I'm working on a, a project with a, a co-writer, uh, a comic, and we have uh, just transitioned to Scrivener, actually, and I love it. Like before that, we were operating in like Google Slides and like putting a scene per slide and kind of like moving them around. But Scrivener, like as this dedicated space is like yeah. kind of a game changer. So, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> yeah, it's been very helpful. So, yeah, I've been kind of moving the brainstorming onto the computer a little bit more these days. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I would love if you could talk a little bit more to go back to the, to the book about Carmen and maybe where she came from. And something that I appreciate about her so much is that she, you know, describes herself as a curvy woman and she really loves her body. And I feel like that was so refreshing for me because oftentimes when you see curvy characters or plus size characters, like they're 
at war with their bodies, you know, and that becomes like takes up a lot of space in the story. But to see that like mentioned, but then just like not be an issue was like such a refreshing thing for me. So can you talk a little bit about, yeah, her and where she came from? Yeah, absolutely. So fat positive representation is very important to me. I am a plus size woman. I use the word fat. I don't think it's a derogatory Mm -hmm. term, but I certainly understand that it's loaded for a lot of people. So when I write protagonists, I've just decided that they're going to be fat women. (laughs) And they are. Um, But, you know, trying to get the terminology right is is a bit challenging because I, I wanted to convey that she is plus size. Like this is not like when you hear curvy, you might think of just like a little curve on the hips and you know so you know I wanted to make sure that all my characters like in Beyond the Creek um, the protagonist loves her curves you know there's a curvy woman in open house so um, I try to like like you said like interject it kind of quickly and then move on (laughs) because um, this story at least or the one so far is just something that I want on the page so people recognize that you know, curvy people are out there living life and that's it. Like, that's it. (laughs) It doesn't need to always be like emotionally traumatic about their weight and things like that. Although there's certainly valid, you know, that's certainly valid. Mm. Um, But in this case, I just wanted the representation. And that's sort of what I've been doing in my story so far is just trying to get the terminology as best I can. I don't want to be offensive. I certainly understand that fat holds a lot of weight for a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of weight for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, so, so I'm, I want to use that word, but I also understand why to hold back on it. So um, yeah, but that's something I've been kind of challenging myself with for sure is to make sure I inject more plus size characters and that they're just living their lives however the story progresses because why not why not you know like (laughs) we need more representation so yeah yeah absolutely we do and you know something that I really appreciate too is that I think that like you know as somebody who was also fat like I internalized early in my life a lot of other people's obsession with my body and what it looked like and then so even just to see Carmen being like you know you don't have to internalize that forever like you don't have to think about your body all the time like that is even you know I mean she didn't yeah. have time to because she's going through some stuff but like yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? but like even so like that's just really like refreshing and like a you know like a, a, a positive uh modeling for myself you know so oh, I'm glad you picked up on it I don't know if people pick up on it as much like in the stories or it because I, it is kind of like brief in a lot of the things that I say. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, some people are picking up on it that, oh, yeah, she has plus size and that's cool. And now we're going to get into the horror, you know? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So what is next for you? I know that sometimes it's hard for writers to talk about like what is officially or unofficially happening, but are you working on anything right now? I am. So I am trying to take my writing in a different direction and be more vulnerable and open. So I am working on this um, like sapphic love story. And it's the three words I'm using are filth, obsession and devour. And I just want it to be like really dirty and gritty and raw and a story about loving someone so much, you know, that you just want to gobble them up like you just want to and what that does to people in relationships and so these two women um are going to be going through that and one's going to have like a sexual awakening and and so that's sort of what I'm playing with right now I'm excited though a little nervous I've already like started writing and felt myself pulling away so I so to fix that I wrote a character who is interviewing them 
So I'm going to try to stay in like the mindset of the interviewer so I don't have to get too deep. And then we're going to see how that works. <laughs> because I, I just have such a hard time like being like so open and vulnerable. Like some writers are so good at it and I'm envious and I wish I could do it. Um, so I'm going to really push myself and see how that turns out. And hopefully in 2024, that will be done. Ooh, nice. All right. Well, that sounds cool. Um, whenever that comes to fruition, like you are absolutely welcome back on the show to talk about that because this has been lovely and I really enjoyed static and I'd love to talk about your next work too. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Problem. Listeners, you're going to want to pick up Static, which will be available by the time that you hear this. So head over to your favorite independent bookstore, library, online retailer, wherever you're going to get your books and check it out. You won't uh, you won't regret it. Thank you so much for joining us. It is now well, thank time. You. Oh, thank you. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode. Thank you.